Well, good morning. So, I continue to pray for less than 8,000. How about that? 7,999. Boo me all you want. I don't care. <laughs> so, um, I do want to uh, make everybody aware, most of you are already hearing this. I announced it Wednesday and you're hearing it in the wind, but... Um, I have declared to uh, run for state representative, House District 15. So, <clears throat> if all of you were delegates, that would be great, but you're not. So, we, we actually have quite a few delegates in our church now, but none of them are in our district, my district, which is, I, I think I'm getting cheated somehow there, but either way. Um, this, is, this is something, this has really only been just the last... A week that I declared, declared last Monday, and it's only been the last couple of weeks that I've really been thinking about this, praying about this. I had quite a few people come and, and um, talk to me, some representatives that said, I, I really need to consider doing this, and, and I rejected it at first and then really began to pray about it. Somebody did say to me, well, you promise you'll pray, and I thought, I don't want to make that promise, but, uh, but through, the, through that process, really began to realize that God was, was, was pulling me to this. And so, um, so that's what I'm doing now. I'm obviously still going to be pastor of the church here. And uh, it, is, it is amazing that in all of this, in the timing and the structure and everything that we're doing, that, um, that uh, Pastor Rick's coming on board to be executive pastor for us. Um, here's how I saw that going down is... Um, I've been working at this for 30, over 30 years, and now Rick comes on board, and his job description basically is going to be whatever I don't want to do. And, and so I'm seeing in my future a lot more me time, a lot more mountain biking, you know, jeeping, stuff like that. And, um, and, and, then, and then just when I get there, God says, oh, wait, by the way, I'm going to mess up your whole life. So... Um, I, I am I'm looking forward to this because of the, the potential, I think, for um, change and really change in people's lives and souls. That's, that's the biggest thing. I, I've actually been out talking. I've got this next Saturday coming up is um, the assembly, and that's when the delegates vote. We're a caucus state, so for the, for the primary, delegates pick the primary people. And, um, and, and I'm hoping to have uh, plenty at that particular time. Uh, this, this is the interesting thing is I've, I'm going and talking to delegates about this, and they ask me, why, as a pastor, why would you do this? It doesn't make sense. And, and every time they say that in the back of my head, I think, no, it doesn't make sense. But, but it gives me an opportunity. Every single person that I've talked to, I've talked to about the Lord because that's why I'm doing this. Um, it's an amazing thing where I can go and witness to people, and they expect that to happen because they're a delegate. They're supposed to hear from me about this kind of stuff. So it's, it's kind of been interesting the last couple of days in processing some of this. So here, here's my request. I really need you to pray for me. My, my biggest uh, concern in this, in fact, this was the, the, really the reason, except for the selfish, I don't want to do stuff, except for that part of it. My biggest hesitancy with this has been uh, my wife and you guys. The, when I, as, as I become more known out there that I'm doing this, um, there they, there will be attacks against me. That's just the way it works. That's, that's the ugliness of our country. 
And so there, there's going to be negative. There's going to be all this kind of stuff. And, and, um, and I've had a lot of people encourage me, you know, to go after my opponents. And um, I just am not going to do that. I just am not. And, I'm, and I've had some very strong advice of how to accomplish that, and, I, and I'm not going to do that. But, but, but here's the thing with me on this is I don't want them to go after you guys. Right? Somebody said to me a couple days ago, well, nobody even knows you. I'm like, thank you, first. <laughs> um, you know what's not appropriate to say right then? Your mama. That's not. But, um, but, but here's, here's a second thing with this is, um, what they were saying was, they were actually kind of being nice. They were saying, nobody has any, any dirt on you. Nobody knows you. And here's the thing. You don't, there's no dirt on me anyway. Know me or not know me. That's not who I am. But I do have 30-plus years of sermons that I've preached that you have plenty of information to try to tear me down if you want to do that. And, and, and a lot of the stuff that I say in sermons are, are very negative to certain contexts within our country. And so there's going to be plenty of that. But here's the thing with that. I'm not concerned for me. Um, I have thick skin. It, it'll make me mad and it'll irritate me, and I'll gripe at my wife a lot about it. And we'll, yeah, we hate them, you know, that kind of thing. But... But I really do have very thick skin when it comes to this stuff. But I'm very concerned for my wife. I'm very concerned for my family and for you guys. Um, I don't want you to feel like you have to defend me. Um, you don't, don't, you know, if you hear something, uh, you know me. You know who I am. And so I'm hoping you'll assume it's not true. Uh, that's the plan. So just be praying. Uh, be praying for me. That's, that's the biggest thing that, that I need. Um, I could use some volunteers next Saturday if you want to stand. Well, I have to give a speech. So if you want to stand there with signs. <laughs> Don't laugh. I'm serious. <laughs> you can have signs that say, Scott's cool, stuff like that, you know. We'll make the signs. You don't make them. <laughs> okay. Because um, <laughs> I don't trust you guys. <laughs> Scott's a fool. What? I, how'd you spell that? Um, <clears throat> So here's the thing. If you want to, if you want to show up at the assembly and, and uh, work at a table with me or, or for me and, um, and hold signs while I speak, you know, so, so you like on TV, except you won't be on TV. That's the only thing. So. Um, no, it's here. It's here at uh, Vista Ridge High School next Saturday. Nine o'clock. So. No, you don't. You have to be a delegate to vote. So, so I've been telling all the delegates, 162 delegates, I've been telling them they're like my best friends now. Um, after Saturday, all of you guys can be my friends again. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 1. I, uh, I want us to, to, guys, I really want you to, to let the Holy Spirit open your mind and your spirit this morning to, to tell you some things, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak in broad senses here because I can't go specifically to you. I'm going to try to do some things specifically. <clears throat> but you're going to have to let the Holy Spirit speak to you personally. There's some things that, that, that I know the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. There's two, there's two basic categories I'm talking about this morning. The, the macro of, of God's calling and then the micro of God's calling, the very intentional, specific of God's calling. And so you need to be able to listen to both of those. Here's what I realized over, over my own life over the years. If you don't really keep the macro understanding of God's calling on us as people in general for everybody... If you don't have that foundation, you don't get that, then it's very challenging for you to um, hear and understand God's specific calling for you. 
I've seen this so many times over the years where people are saying, well, what is God's will for me? And they're talking about this specificness, this very intentional right now for this situation or this person or this job or whatever the case is. God, what is your will? Or the very... um, the, uh, the, the, uh, the micro type of calling, the very specific to you calling. The problem is, is if we don't, if we have not established who God is supposed to be in our life, I'm saying in our, internally, God's already God, but we have to embrace that by faith and establish it in our own personal life. And if we don't do that, then getting down to the very specific will is always going to be very challenging, if possible at all. Because you got to get the big picture. you got to have the, 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 the big calling and the big understanding of who God is in your life um, established first. So Jeremiah chapter 1, normally um, I would go right to verse 5, but I'm going to read all of this uh, as one whole section. I want to explain a little bit for, for, from my context of how this would work, okay? Uh, I, I knew when I was a kid, I knew that God had called me um, to be a minister at eight years old, and uh, and I didn't know what to do with this. I I was I was in a children's service, and I and I strongly knew that God was saying, um, "I'm I'm calling you to ministry." Now here is the problem with that. I'm eight years old. I don't even know what that means. I don't know what ministry means. I don't know what calling means. I don't know anything. But I just know that God put deeply in my spirit, "I'm calling you to ministry." Um. I didn't tell anybody except my grandmother. My grandmother was a minister, and I, I went and talked to her about it because I figured she had some, like, inside scoop. She could help me out with this, right? And, uh, and it was very beneficial because I knew she was praying for me. Um, I got a, 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 she gave me a, a picture Bible around that same time, just right after that, and she wrote in the cover of this stuff, you know, Scripture and, and you know, Grandma loves you, and, you know, stuff like that, right? But then right in the middle of it, she said, and um, uh, I'm never going to forget our little secret. And she put that because I told her not to tell anybody. I was scared to death that somebody was going to find out that I was called to ministry. And not, not because I, I you know, didn't want to do that or whatever. I didn't know what that was. I, I didn't have enough context to be worried about the actual calling to ministry. Okay? What I was worried about is somebody was going to say, what does that mean? And I have nothing to do. I have, no, I have no words after that. I'm called to ministry. It sounds great. It sounds holy. It sounds lofty. It sounds big for an eight-year-old to say that. But if anybody would have paused and said, what does that mean? I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. And that's what I would have to have said. I don't know. Okay. So I kept it a secret. Um, as I got into early teen years, I really began to not serve God. I didn't want to have anything to do with God and, and um, the Bible and church and things like that. My parents took me to church. I didn't have that, I didn't have that option, okay? Um, parents, please, please let, listen to this. Your, your kids should not be allowed to choose whether they go to church or not. You choose that, okay? You say, well, I want them to make their own decisions. That's not what God told you. God told you, you make their decisions, my parents kept taking me to church, which was very important because I'm still hearing God's word. I'm still hearing truth. I'm still watching people be prayed for. I'm still seeing the Holy Spirit move in people's lives. Even though I don't want to have anything to do with God, I'm still part of that. And that rubs off on you, whether you want it to or not. You walk away with understanding and knowledge and, and even sensitivity to God that you don't just have so I, I didn't serve God for a long time. I went to the Navy at 17, wasn't serving God. 
And uh, right after that, I went to uh, university. And I'm 18 years old now. I'm in university, and I, and I wasn't a Christian. I, I did go to this uh, Chi Alpha Christian Ministries, um, like a student, Christian student organization on campus. And uh, I, I saw Linda. I'd already met her a year before in different circumstances. But I, I re-met Linda. And so now I feel a calling to go to this Chi Alpha. Um, but I'm, I'm still not a Christian. I don't want to serve God. And, and Linda was trying to serve God. I'm not serving God. We actually started dating. That was immediately a, a problem because I'm not serving God. And my goals in life and goals in dating are not God goals. And, and hers are. And so that immediately put uh, tension between us. And so over a few months later, um, I broke up with Linda. I still am not serving God at this point. A, a couple months after that, I, I get saved. I give my heart to the Lord. And I really began to try to pursue God and want, and want to serve God. Um, immediately when I get saved, God reminds me, remember I called you as an eight-year-old. And that really bothered me. I wasn't... I, Yes, I'm a Christian, and I really am wanting to serve God at this point, but not that much. <laughs> right? Some of you know what that feels like because that's where you are right now. You understand what I'm saying? I want to serve God, but, but not that much. Not like all in. Not like completely committed. Not like, not like those super Christians. And then people say things like, um, well, I don't want to be too heavenly minded. I'm no earthly good. Did you know that's not a possibility? What they mean, I understand that because I've thought that before. What that means is I don't want to be fake Christian. I don't want everything's bless you, brother, and, and, and amen, and hallelujah, and heaven, and angels. And, uh, you know, after a while, this stuff gets old. It just does. But real sincere Holy Spirit life, real sincere God life, that's what we're afraid of, right? I mean, real sincere. It's no possible way to be too heavenly minded. It's not possible. The more heavenly minded you are, the more of a benefit and the more earthly good you are. The more heavenly minded that you are, the more relevant you are to other people. The more connecting you are to other people. If the things you're doing and saying are so churchified that, that you become disconnected with other people, that's not the same thing. That's not, that's not real sincere relationship with the Lord, right? Um, this idea for me then, okay, I'm called. What does that mean? I'm running from that. I'm, I'm running hard at this point from that. Um, over the space of about a, a year, about nine months after that, I really began to work through this. What does it mean to be called? God, you, you're the one doing this. And so finally I submitted to God. It was actually my parents' plan. Um, but I rejected that, uh, was to go to Bible school. And uh, within a year after that, I was a youth pastor. Now, I had a friend of mine that I went to high school with. And um, I won't tell you his name because my dad didn't like him. But, um, <laughs> but I went to high school with this guy. When I was at university, he actually had become a Christian. And he was um, um, in this Chi Alpha group, and he was... Within a year, he was also heading into ministry. 
And which there was no way a 17-year-old you would have looked at a 16-year-old and said, oh, they're going into ministry. That's not. But he asked me one time. We were standing outside after a Kyle meeting. He said, Scott, I really think that God's stirring in my heart to be a youth pastor. What do you think about that? You think you'll ever be a youth pastor? And I said, no, I'll never be a youth pastor. He said, but you said you're called to ministry. I said, yeah, but I'm called to be a missionary. Now, the reason I said that was because I knew that God had it was calling me into ministry, but I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to be a, a, some kind of minister in a church because I'd grown up in that, and I had seen too many ministers, pastors treated horribly by people in church. I, I horrible. Not now. My my family was all in. My family, we we were at church every time the doors open. We did everything in the church. Um, we supported the pastor. We did, I mean, that's who our family was. But I saw people that would tear apart pastors. And I'm thinking, why would I want to do that? So I had this, this deep passion within my spirit to tell people about Jesus. From, from very early on in this relationship with God, I just knew that's what we're supposed to be doing. And this was burning in my spirit. So the way I translated that was, uh, well, I'm going to be a missionary, my friend said, so you don't think you're going to be a youth pastor? No, I'm going to be a missionary. He said, you think you'll ever be a lead pastor? I said, no, definitely not. I'll, um, I'm going to be a missionary. <laughs> so then uh, shortly after that, Lynn and I started dating again. Um, and then uh, the, that following summer, I go to be a youth pastor in um, West Texas. And then Lynn and I get married. Linda's still in East Texas. And then Lynn and I get married um, six months after that, uh, and then we're both in ministry now. And for the first handful of years, at least from my perspective, I don't know exactly with Linda how long it was, but we just kind of held on to that. We're going to be missionaries. We're just doing this for a little while, but we're going to be missionaries. And then over time, I began to realize that what God was doing with me was he wanted me to have a passion for lost souls. But in my context, at least the way that my brain looked at it, if you really had a passion for lost souls, you went to be a missionary because pastors don't care about lost souls and churches don't care about lost souls. Only missionaries care about lost souls. That's really the way I looked at it. And so I, I uh, held on to this for a few years and then finally I realized God has called me to be this, this minister. I still wasn't okay with the pastor thing yet, the lead pastor, but... I'm not supposed to be a missionary, at least not right now. Now, I've always struggled with the at least not right now because every time a missionary comes through for service, that's where I'm called, right? I, am, I have a deep call for Israel right now in my heart. Why? Because Jeff was here last week, and he's a missionary to Israel. Um, th th that's because that's, God just moves my spirit that way. I want these people to get saved. I want Israelites to get saved. And so, but I realized that that's not, I'm not to be a missionary. I'm to be a pastor that supports missions and makes sure that missions happens. Um, at any time along the way, I would have jumped and ran. In fact, a group called me one time, and they said, we're going to um, Amman, Jordan, and uh, we're building a team. We want you to be the team leader for this missions group in, in Amman, Jordan. And I'm like, well, yes. Why would I not do that? And um, Emily was probably late elementary at the time. So I went to Linda, and I said, Linda, look, this, and she knew the, some of the people that were involved. I said, they've been talking to me. She said, about going to Amman, Jordan? And I said, yeah. She said, no, and just walked out of the room. I'm like, <laughs> I 
I mean, that was it. So I'm like following her through the house because I'm not raising my daughter in a modern Jordan and I'm not talking about this anymore. Lord, you heard her. I can't, what am I going to do? So, so here's the thing with this. Guys, I know this. I know this. Every one of us in this room, you are called by God. You're called by God in the macro. And then we're going to kind of narrow, help you narrow down into a, to the micro sense, the, the specific to you sense. But every one of us are called to, to, to certain things in the macro. And this is where we have to have a biblical understanding of this because the church actually preaches against some of this stuff. I hear the church, I hear pastors that will say, not everybody is called to be a witness. Just show me where it says. When it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel in Mark, in Matthew, go, go, uh, go to the lost and make disciples. Show me where the parenthetical statement that says, except for you. Just show me anywhere where it picks a, a, a group, a people group, a, an age group, and says, but not you. We're all called. We're all called to be witnesses. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. Now, you will read, and sometimes preachers will preach this, but you'll read commentaries also that will say this scripture was for Jeremiah. And, and some people preach it so strongly that they say, and not for you today. Guys, this, this scripture and Jeremiah was for Jeremiah. The reason God wrote it down the way that he does is so that we know it's also for us. Every one of us in this room, this was prophetic to you and I right now. Before you were born, I set you apart. Now, in the King James, that word is, um, is uh, uh, sanctified you. I sanctified you. For years, I labored under the false pretense that most Christians in American church do, that, that sanctification is the process of growing in holiness. That is not what sanctification is. Growing in holiness is part of what sanctification accomplishes, but it's not what sanctification is. The definition of sanctification is right here in, in the New Living Translation, that you've been set apart. I go into great detail about this one at the journey at my house on Sunday nights. Before you were born, I sanctified you or I set you apart. Now, this is the way that that works. Okay, I picked on, is, is, I, th I think I saw them leaving. I picked on Rob and Brooke in first service because they're engaged. Um, they're not in this service, so I need another couple that's engaged. Is there one in this service? You guys aren't engaged. It's time. It's time for you to get married. Um, some of you guys may not know, but uh, Al and Diane are, mar are married. Whoops, are uh, engaged. So, so this language right here, this before you were born, I set you apart. This is this is engagement language. Okay. Jesus is the groom. We do not teach and preach this enough in the church. We don't even understand it most of the time in Western society. We don't see it this way. Jesus is the groom. The church is the bride. When, when 
Before you were born, Jesus set you apart. This is why I, I believe that what I was talking about last week in Genesis, when God creates Adam and Eve and puts him in the garden, he is doing that to be the bride for Jesus. But the whole thing got messed up. Now, it doesn't specifically say that about Genesis, but when we get to Revelation where you fix everything and everything is redeemed and brought back to the way that it was supposed to be from the beginning, we marry Jesus. Okay? So now... Jesus sets us apart for him. The engagement, the, the, um, the will you marry me moment is the cross. And the blood is his ring to us that declares to everybody and everything spiritual they belong to me. They're under my covering. So Jesus is this groom that sets us apart. But here is what is the responsibility for the bride. He says, before you were born, I set you apart. So um, Al sometime recently has said, um, Diane, will you marry me? Did you say that, Al? Okay. All right. Can you stand to be around me? Or some question like that. So, Diane, what did you say? Okay. <laughs> uh -huh. It's about time. <laughs> We're not getting younger, man. <laughs> so, so, Diane says, yes. Now, guys, here's the thing. He says, before you were born, I set you apart. I've dedicated myself to you. The Lord set himself apart by going to the cross. And he seals this with his blood. And then he says to you, will you set yourself apart from me? That's what we call salvation. Will you set yourself apart from me? Yes, Jesus. You are my groom to me. I give my life to you. But here's where holiness comes in. Is if you have set yourself apart for Jesus, and now you are engaged to Jesus. If you are saved, you are engaged to Jesus. You're not married to him yet. You're going to be. But if you, if you accept him as your Savior, you're, you're engaged to him. But then what happens when Jesus sees us a year later and we're flirting with somebody else or dating somebody else? Because that's the book of Hosea. Do you understand the gravity of that? Jesus says, I'm all in with you. Will you be my bride? And we say, yes, Jesus, I'm all in with you. I'll be your bride unless something better comes along. Tomorrow, the next day, something like that. Guys, in the macro sense of calling, God has called every one of us first and foremost to him. That's the relationship. When you build a salvation upon, and this, is, and this is what major evangelical groups do. They build a salvation mentality upon, it's basically what's called Calvinism. But Jesus only died for some people. No matter what you do after you're saved, uh, no matter how much you sin or whatever, you're still going to go to heaven. These are very detrimental theological mentalities that tear at the relationship between the bride and the groom. This is why they're so dangerous. 
as the bride-to-be, I'm going to give everything I am to my groom because anything less shows that I don't really care about him to the point of marrying him. I'm looking for something else. Well, there's still quite a few people out there. This, 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 was, a, this was part of the thing for me. When, when I, 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 I'm, I'm not serving God, Lynn and I break up. I had, I had so much pride at that point. When I broke up with Linda, all of our friends made it very, very clear to me. They would say this regularly. You know you're going to marry her someday. And it would make me so mad. I'd say, I'm never, ever going to marry her. I'm never even going to date her again. Well, yeah, you know the end of the story, Right. But I would tell people, I'm never going to. In fact, my mother, my mother never liked any girl I ever dated, ever. They were all um, not good enough. They were all ugly. You know, it doesn't matter. And uh, when I went to university, my first semester there, my mom says, well, I'm going to take a class down there at the university, too. It was about an hour and a half, two hours from our house. And I was like, okay, that seems strange. It didn't dawn on me. She's taking a master's class in something. I don't even know what it was. She had two masters. Why is she taking a class? Because her son was an hour and a half away. That's why. So every week she'd come to her class and we'd sit there and talk and sometimes go uh, get something to eat or do something like that. And so we'd sit there and talk. And uh, Linda was with me. We're da- Linda and I are dating. And, and she was always a, a little off standish to Linda, but that's because that's who my mom was. I kept telling Linda, you don't understand. My mom really likes you. And she would say, I don't think she does. I'm like, she said hello to you. <laughs> Do you understand that? And she actually asked you a question last week. She loves you deeply. <laughs> so a few weeks later when Lynn and I broke up, I, um, I come to see my mom and I'm by myself. She said, where's Linda? I said, well, we broke up. You idiot. I was like, what? You know God put her in your life to marry her. What are you doing? I'm like, you're not my boss. (laughs) Run, she's quick. Look at what he says. Before you were born, I set you apart. And appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Guys, that is every one of us in this room. God set you apart and he appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. That means the voice of God to the nations. That doesn't mean like future telling. Could, but it means that you are to be the voice of God to people. To the nations. What nations? Anywhere you are. Acts 1.8 tells us it starts right where you are and goes all the way to the ends of the earth. Do you realize that where you are right now, right now, sitting in this seat, you are the ends of the earth according to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. America's the ends of the earth. We're not the center. You are called to be a voice of God to people. 
Every one of us. If you don't start there, if you don't understand that God set you apart and he specifically created you, specifically designed you, and specifically called you to this, it will hinder everything else you're doing. It will be very challenging for you to find the very daily process of God's will because you're not walking in the, in the macro. You're not walking in the covering that he has set you apart. If you think you have the freedom to make all your own decisions about everything without ever asking God, you're setting yourself up for failure. This is a very strong, popular thing through the church is this mentality, I choose to do what I want and then God just blesses it. Except you don't see that in Scripture. God didn't say to Abraham, Abraham, just wander around and whenever you get where you like, set up a tent and I'll bless it. God had a specific place for him to go to. Paul, Paul is walking um, about toward this village, toward this city, and he's going to go minister in this city, which is who he is. It's what he does. And on the way, um, God has, gives him a dream in the middle of the night and says, do not go to that city. This is the God that died for everybody, Jesus that died for everybody, and he wants everybody to know him, but he specifically told Paul, don't go to that city. Because God has a plan. God has moments and times and situations that he wants for you. But you got to get away from the mentality that somehow this is just, we're just kind of in the boat floating down the river and God will just bless everything. Now, I, I'll be honest with you. That level of Christian maturity, God will still walk with you with. In other words, you can do your own thing and he does still bless you. But you're really limiting what God is trying to do in your life. You're limiting what his big picture for you is. He's limiting specific moments and times and relationships, conversations and settings because you're just doing it in your own. You're not putting yourself in the right place. Your mind's not even in the right place. Your spirit's not in the right place for God to say something, to do something with you. He says, O sovereign Lord, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. What is the age limit that God has? When does, when does he say, now, now you're old enough, begin to serve me? Now you're old enough, begin to talk about me. Now you're old enough. Years ago, I went to a church in Florida to talk to him about being their pastor. And they asked me this in the interview. This guy, because I'm talking about evangelism, it's all I ever talk about. And, and I'm talking about witnessing to all this stuff, and we're going to establish that in the church. And, all this. and this, this board member said to me, you keep talking about evangelism, but you haven't talked any about training people to be evangelized. How long should, th should they wait after they get saved before they begin to tell somebody about Jesus? I said, 30 seconds? <laughs> you know, let them take a couple breaths and then begin to... But they haven't been trained. Show me all the people in the New Testament that were trained before they witnessed. Show me the seminaries they went to. Show me the, the, the years of discipleship. Jesus, while he was teaching them, was sending them out. Right? Some of them, I mean, the first four people that we see understand that Jesus is God and receive some kind of calling from him, the reason that the, the first one is because Jesus said something to him. The other three is because somebody else that Jesus just said something to went and told them. And they bring to him, hey, I just found a guy. You're going to like this. How long had they known Jesus? Seven minutes? Right? This, this idea, too young. I'll tell you one that's got us in today's society even stronger is I can't tell people about you. I'm too old. 
I'm too old. I'm headed for retirement. I, I'm ready to buy my RV and my boat and, and retire from everything. Here's the question I have for you. When, what is the retirement age for the kingdom of God? Not your job. Retire as soon as you can. Right? But, but not your job, but for the kingdom of God. When do you, when do you retire and, and kind of kick back and stop being who God has called you to be? When did Moses retire? When did Caleb retire? When did Paul retire? When did John the Revelator retire? Think about this. John the Revelator was, was literally crispy fried chicken the second half of his life. But he didn't retire. Think about this. I'm too old. No, you're not. My in-laws left for Africa to be missionaries at 48 years old. Smith Wigglesworth, greatest evangelist I think that potentially has ever walked the planet. Most amazing man of God, anointed by the Holy Spirit. His wife had been a minister for years. He was a plumber. And then one day, God saved him. He thought he, he, before that, he thought he was saved, but he wasn't. He said that. And he said, then God saved him, filled with the Holy Spirit, and called him into ministry. He was 48 years old. And his wife was a little offended by this because immediately his ministry took off in, in supernatural, powerful ways. And she had arguments with him the first couple of years. Smith, I am the minister. You're not. And he's like, I know. I'm not a minister. But people are just getting healed around me. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I mean, it literally was like that. Think about, think about um, well, we had Chris and Tanya, missionaries to Africa, here, they were out of our last church up by Denver, and uh, they've been missionaries for 10 years now, 11 years now. They didn't leave from the mission field until they were in their 50s. What, what is the time frame for you? And I'm not saying everybody in this room is called to mission field or to be a pastor or something like that, but we're all called. And here's the thing is God may be whispering in the back of your mind something different, something a, a complete, unique path. Are you willing to hear it? Are you willing to process it? He says, don't say I'm too young. Don't say it. I'm too young. Don't say I'm too old. Don't say I can't for whatever reason. For you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. Don't be afraid of the people. That's a big reason why people don't do things. Afraid of the people. This, this has been my wife's hesitance and this whole thing with state representative is she's worried about the people. She's worried about the, what the people will say about me. I've, I've done this for over 30 years. I have a very good reputation in many different ministry settings and ranks. I'm very well respected outside of this church. <laughs> and I don't want that to be torn down. But that doesn't bother me as much as it does her. But here's the reality. When you step out to do something for God at work, when you step out to do what God has called you to do in your community, when you step outside, maybe in a complete transformation of your existence, when you step outside do that, there will be people that will attack you. Because why? Satan does not like it when you step into the vein that God wants for you. And he will use people to do it. Some people are very innocent. They don't know they're jerks. Satan is just using them. Okay? 
But some people out there, and guys, this is where we struggle. In fact, this is where we struggle in a lot of ways in America. This is why I believe that some of the, the, the uh, highest offices in our country can manipulate the American people so much is because most Americans don't think people are ultimately evil. We assume, well, they wouldn't just stand up in front of the entire country and lie. I'm serious. Subconsciously, we don't think that sometimes. And it has to be, for many people, it has to be proven over and over and over before they'll even begin to accept it. Well, that's not a bad trait to have. Being a little trusting and naive is not a bad trait. But the problem is, is there are bad people out there and they will try to hurt you. Don't be afraid of people, for I will be with you and I will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. The Lord, then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, look, I've put my words in your mouth. Guys, we need to be praying that daily. God, touch my, touch my mouth. Isaiah 6, take the coal from the altar and touch my lips. Purify my mouth, purify my words. Put your words in my mouth, not my words. Our words almost always get us in trouble. God's words will never get you in trouble with God. It will get you in trouble with people. But it's a different kind of trouble. It's Paul kind of trouble. That's good trouble. And that starts with a T. And that rhymes with P. <laughs> and that stands for... Some of the younger ones are like, what are you guys even talking about? It's a movie. It's a great movie. The Music Man, is that what it was? You should watch that movie. Great movie. He says, look, I put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you. Today. Guys, own this. Today, right now, today, I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Stand up against evil. Stand up against darkness. Stand up. Some of you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others, you must build up and plant. There is an expectation of both. Today you're called. Walk out of here today, please, Walk out here today saying, I am called by God. If we don't get there, we're, we're, it's going to mess everything up in our existence. So the first thing, everybody's called in the macro. We're called to be a voice for the Lord. We're, we're called to declare the gospel. We're called to stand for the word of God, for truth, under all circumstances. And sometimes that means uprooting. Let, let, me, let me help you with this because we've seen this song um, that, uh, we, that I, I hear the sound of dry bones rattling, right? And then we say, live that I hear the, the word of the Lord. If you're not careful, what you will do is you will pray that over people. And God didn't intend you to pray that over people until you have prayed it over yourself. Lord, I am dry bones. Move in me. I want, when I speak, I want people to be healed and set free and the demonic destroyed and exposed. And I want people to know the gospel. R raise up a, a livingness in me. Help the dry bones of Scott live. Then you can begin to pray that over other people. But do not ever start with other people. That's, that's an arrogance that moves through the church in so many ways. And I've heard it so many times over the years. Well, how do we get these people serving God? How do we get these people worshiping God? I'm going to pick on some of you. I can't actually remember some of you saying this to me, but I know you have. Well, you know, sometimes I feel like just, just shouting. Sometimes I feel like just raising my hands or dancing or getting out the aisle and just kneeling down. Sometimes I feel like that. What do we have to do to get our church on fire like that? 
What's the answer to the question? Do it. If you feel like getting out and kneeling down, nobody's going to be like, oh, that is so disappointing. You feel like coming to the altar and praying during worship? Some people do that sometimes. Do it. Guys, some of you have never raised your hands to the Lord. I know that's not, it's not a qualification for Christianity. I understand that. But my question would be, have you never felt like it? Ever? Never? Not even like this? <laughs> never? I know I'm picking on silly little things, but you know how you, know how you change people, situations, circumstances? You be you, and you let God change you. We're all called to stand for the Word of God, and we're all called to live a holy life empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we also have specific callings, okay? You have things that God has called you to specifically. Some of you uh, are doing life groups because God has called you to do a life group, a Bible study, prayer meeting. God has called you to do that. Don't take that lightly. That's just as important as what I'm doing. It's different. The responsibility is different, but it's just as important. Rick and I have talked about this quite a bit with him coming on staff as the executive pastor. He, he told me this years ago that God has called him to be an executive pastor, an associate. He didn't call him to be the lead pastor. That, that's, that's a calling. The same thing with Josh. Josh. God called Josh to be a youth pastor. I constantly have people that when I was a youth pastor, they would ask me this, and I constantly hear this. My son's a children's pastor in Texas, and he has, he says people asking this all the time. When are you going to move up? Move up into What? Do you think you, you move up into the position of pastor? That's a, that's a very dangerous path you're walking. You don't move up into pastor. In fact, I would argue you move down into pastor, but <laughs> youth pastoring was so much cooler than pastoring. You could call kids names. They wouldn't get mad. I mean, all kinds of fun things. <clears throat> but this idea, there's, there, God has called you to something. What has God called you to do, specifically for you? What is God leading you to? How is he, how's he stirring in your spirit? What's he saying to you? What, how, how can you, when you go into work, what has God told you about your calling at work? You say, well, I just work here. Then you're not listening. You're not following God in that. That can't... We live so much as Christians just by what we think and what we choose and by accident and coincidence and all this other stuff. That is not biblical. There is no coincidence in the kingdom of God. It doesn't exist. God's the one who created you. He designed you, everything about you. And before you were born, he knew you and set you apart. For what? I don't know, just kind of whatever I want to do. Really? Is that really the way we think? When you walk into work, what has God called you to there? Be strategic. Be intentional. doesn't mean you have to turn weird all of a sudden, but now you know what you're doing. You know why you're there. You're listening to God. And by the way, I think that's a daily process. I don't think God gives you like this calling at work and that's what you do. In fact, I'm really praying and seeking God about this whole representative thing because I know that what God is actually leading to, I don't think I know what it is yet. I know the big picture of what God is doing. 
But I think he's going to surprise me with the moments that are, that are calling. That I, because I don't, I don't know that world that much. But I know me, and I know how the Holy Spirit uses me. So I know I'm going in like, yeah, I know, I know what's about to happen. And then God's going to go, no, you don't. <laughs> I know what God's called me to, but I don't know how it's all going to work out. Same with you. It's a daily thing. The Bible says, for the steps of a righteous man ordered by God, not the years or the months or the end of the journey. He's literally saying, today, I have some steps for you. Take those. And I'll give you the next ones. Well, God, I need 150 steps or I'm not willing to step out. I need at least a full day's worth of journey. Well, Abraham didn't say that. God said, head that direction. I'll tell you when you get there. How about that kind of faith life? You know, you're, you know his first 10 steps were like, You know, five miles later, ten miles later, he's just walking because it's just now it's just the walk. And then one day, one day, he takes that step. And he thought it was just a normal step, and God said, you're there. This is where I want you. As it, let the Holy Spirit speak something to you. What is your specific on? John chapter 4. I love this. This is the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. But I'm going to show you something about the story you probably haven't processed. <clears throat> if you'll just read through the story, this will become very obvious to you after I say this. this. This will jump out at you every time you read it from now on. But we don't see it this way because we, we, we don't do really good sometimes reading the New Testament from the point of view of the journey of Jesus and the journey of the people and Jesus being a real human, yes, God in human flesh, but being a real human that processes and things like this. When we see where Jesus is witness to this woman, I actually called her out, um, basically said, you sleep around with like everybody. And she said, oh, you know everything about me. So then she accepts that Jesus is, is God because he knows this. So he runs into the uh, community. She runs in the community and begins to tell people, hey, I, th I think I found the Messiah. He told me everything I've done. And these people hear this and they're like, and you're not mad? No, this is me. Okay, then we got to know this guy. You know, that kind of thing. So this is where it comes to. The disciples had been away into the city buying food. They come back. They see Jesus talking to the woman. She takes off. And in verse 31, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. Now, what Jesus does here is he stops, begins to um, internalize what is happening, this woman accepting him, internalizing his, what his life is about, and then he begins to talk out loud what is going on in his mind and his spirit. This is not specifically to the disciples, although it is, because he is talking about much bigger transcendent stuff. The disciples just got his brain going with the question. He was already thinking about it. Okay? It's like, it's like you had this little red wagon when you were growing up, and, you're, and you'd forgotten about it. And then somebody says, they're talking about something, and they say, you know, I had a little red wagon when I was a kid. And all of a sudden you go, and you may say it out loud, you know, I had a little red wagon too. And I remember doing this and this, and this. It's not pertinent to anything going on right then. You're seeing a bigger outside thinking. This is what Jesus does. They say, Rabbi, eat something. And Jesus replied, and I, and I believe if you're sitting there, his voice changes. I think his eyes start going to a different place. He says, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Now, the disciples don't have a clue. What he's, they're like, 
Did, 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 have you been out in the heat? What are you? And the reason we know that is they say, did someone bring him food while we were gone? Jesus isn't saying he's not hungry. And it doesn't say Jesus never ate again. That's not the point of this. He might have, even as he's saying this, he might have been reaching for some of the food. That's not the point. The point is his mind shifts and he says, guys, everything you're seeing is so much bigger than you're seeing it. And you don't even know it. He says, I have food you know nothing about. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. My entire existence is about God. My entire existence, it's about God. And then look what he says. He says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around now. Wake up and look around. And then he says, the fields are already ripe for harvest. Here's what I think potentially. I'm, I'm throwing extra in here. I get this. But here's what I think potentially happens. Jesus is sitting there. The woman is running off to the village. The disciples are saying, hey, you want to? And he says, guys, wake up. And I think he points at the woman and says, the fields are already ripe for harvest. She wanted this information. She wanted this truth. Nobody else assumed that because of her lifestyle, because of who she was. Everybody in the community knew her reputation. But immediately Jesus speaks life, and he speaks light, and he speaks living water. And she says, I need this. The disciples are coming up like, hey, you want lunch? Jesus said, guys. Open your eyes. Look what is happening right now. You just saw the most amazing miracle that ever happened in that woman's life. But you missed it. She's the field. Look at what is happening. The, harvester, the harvesters are paid good wages. That's you and I. You're a harvester. I'm a harvester. We're paid good wages. What does that mean? That means God blesses us, takes care of us, helps us to accomplish what he's got for us, and then someday we're going to be rewarded for it in eternity. Have you ever, have you ever thought about the, the weirdness of that? We are giving other people eternal life. We are handing them truth and the reality of Jesus Christ. And Jesus rewards us for it? That should be the... That's like you, 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 you find this cure for cancer and you hand it to somebody. Or I can switch it up to make it easier to understand. You find some ivermectin and you hand it to somebody with COVID. And then everybody rewards you. What did you do? You didn't create the cure. You, did, you just handed it to somebody. Jesus died on the cross for this, and he rewards you for telling people about Jesus? This is amazing. He said, what joy awaits both planter and harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants, another harvests. It's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Many, many, this is what uh, Hebrews 12 is about, or Hebrews 11 and into 12 is all of these people that had gone before, the prophets and everything else, they did all the planting. Now, you can say in today's society, we have this too. You know, um, some, some people give the gospel, some people do, you know, and there's different layers. Some people water it, and some people then come along. But I also see most of the time over the years, Christian uses, Christians use as an excuse as to why you don't ask them to pray with you. Well, I just plant. And then, and then walk away? 
Are you assuming somebody else is going to come harvest that? Are you assuming somebody's going to pick weeds? Are you assuming somebody's going to water it? Are you assuming something else is going to happen? Why don't you just try? When you tell them about Jesus, just try. Just say, do you have a desire to know Jesus at all? Because I can help you with that. He's saying here, everybody else has already done the work. You harvest. We're in the harvesting mentality. He said, it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work. Now you will go to gather the harvest. The third thing, be willing to be, go, or do. Whatever God says to you right now. What, what, what would be your parameters right now? What would you not do? That's, that's, that's the best way to ask the question of yourself. If God said to you right now, do this, what are your limitations? What are your limitations? I would do anything for you to quote meatloaf, but I won't do that. So, so where is your I won't do that moment? I mean, seriously, if God said to you right now, I want you to go be a missionary to China, is, is that off the table? I, I know I'm picking a little bit, but guys, somewhere... If you draw a line, somewhere you're saying everything that is God's will on the other side of that line, I'm not okay with. I'm not willing to actually do God's will. I'll do it up to right here, but I won't, I won't go any farther than that. What is the line for you? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you. Based upon the prophetic words spoken about you earlier... May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Guys, you are in, you're in battle right now. Whether you're fighting or not, you're in battle. Scripture tells us that. Satan is fighting for your soul. If you're not fighting, then you're getting beat. He says, this is how you fight the battles. You cling to your faith in Christ. Cling to your faith. That's the key. Keep your conscience clear. How do you do that? You live a holy life dedicated to the Lord. You're not playing games. You're not over here fooling around with sin and doing things that you know you're not supposed to be doing. Keep your conscience clear. Love God with everything. Love people the way you're supposed to. Treat people the way you're supposed to. That'll keep your conscience clear. And he said, for some people have deliberately violated their consciences, and as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. We cannot be willing for that to happen. We've got to stand against that. Why don't you stand with me? I want us to look at this in, in two basic categories. The first is, God, I know that you've called me. Let me get that in my head my spirit. The big picture. You've called me. You created me. You set me apart. It's not accident. You're not just here. You're not just floating through life. You've called me, God. You created me. You've called me. The second thing is then, God, what are you specifically calling me to right now? Every one of us in the building, God has called you to something right now specific, intentional. What is it? You've got to ask God. You've got to talk to this. And, and here's what I also want to present, is I really believe that, that different ones of you throughout this building, God is calling you into a ministry context like, like a pastor or a missionary or something like that. I don't know. I'm not saying God has showed me that, okay? Don't be hiding your eyes at me right now. I'm saying I know how God works. God's calling some of you. Are you listening to that? If, if you feel like God is specifically calling you to a ministry context, um, all of us are called to minister. I think, I hopefully you understand what I'm saying, like a pastor, or a, a, like as a job kind of thing, that this is your, your 
direction, occupation, life, everything. Missionary, something like that. Then we have some books up here on the altars that are written by our network uh, pastor um, about calling. Uh, you can have one of these books. If we, if we run out, let us know. We'll get you one. Okay? But this is specifically, maybe I'm supposed to be a missionary. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm supposed to be a pastor, something like that. Guys, every one of us need to hear God's voice this morning before you leave here to say, I'm calling you to this. I created you for this. Do this. Think this way. Respond this way. Right? Let's bow our heads. God, we submit ourselves to you. God, I am so thankful that you called me. God, I have never understood what you see in me that you translate as to usable that you translate as good enough and I've never totally understood that I've I've never totally understood how you can take a human and do supernatural things with us how you can bring wisdom and discernment all of a sudden, we just know things we didn't know before. God, that we can pray for people and things happen in the unseen world that changes us, that physically changes, emotionally changes. Lord, I've never understood all that. But God, I'm amazed that you've done that with me. I'm amazed when I see you do this with other people. God, and I know it is your will for every person in this room to live like that and to operate like that. So we need your help, God. We need your help. God, help us to focus in and dedicate ourselves as the bride to the groom, 100%. And I pray against deception, manipulation, sin. Lord, I, I pray against laziness and selfishness that keep us from pursuing you 100%. Lord, I believe that we are quickly approaching the end of time on this earth as we know it. Lord, help us to dedicate ourselves. Help us to not feel like we have time to play around. Lord, help us to see you through everything. And then, God, I pray that every person in this room, you will begin to speak. God, I think you already are. I know you already are. Begin to speak. This is what I've called you to. This is why I made you this way. This is why you enjoyed this so much. God, speak to us right now. You're calling. Maybe not everything, most likely not everything, but at least the next step. Lord, we'll do the best we can to take that step. God, for people in here, young or old, that you've called to some kind of occupational, full-life ministry mentality, God, confirm it in them. Don't let them run away. Don't let them be scared. Confirm it in them. Lord, I believe that there are cross-cultural missionaries in this room. I believe there are ministers in this room pastors in this room. God, we may see him as a little kid, 
but you see him as a pastor. Somebody may be heading into retirement. And God, you are just beginning to open your plan to them. So Lord, help us to be open, to listen. many of you would say, I, I, I sense that the Lord has given me a very specific calling. I'd like you to raise your hand. I have something specific. I know God's leading. Guys, run with that. With everything in you, run with that. If you say, well, what if I get off base? God's big enough. If he can call you, he can bring you back. I can't tell you all the times I've got off base. I'm hoping I'm not getting off base right now in my life. God's big. Let him be big. Right? Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Don't ever take that for granted. Assume that's the woman at the well, and all she needs is some truth. All she needs is some love, some compassion, and some truth. And let God do that in their life. God will honor that with you. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they are here, and that you got to see them, and we'll see you Wednesday night.